Hello, I'm Ian Wielden, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is the illustrator Johnny Hanna. So this is a bit of a special episode and one where we'll be focusing on the approaches that Johnny takes as an illustrator when we talk about some of his previous commissions, including the curious custom stamp set that he created for Royal Mail in 2019, as well as his work for Penguin Books, which saw him design and create a series of covers for six classic John Steinbeck novels. Johnny also talks about the approaches that he's taken during his latest exhibition, Shipbuilders and Fisherfolk, which is currently on display at Hartlepool Art Gallery and Hartlepool Museum. These exhibitions show Johnny working in a fascinating way, where he gathers stories and local traditions and word of mouth histories through links and connections that he's made with the local community, and which are then incorporated into the individual works that make up the exhibition. Images of the works we discuss can be found at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com so if you want to see more of Johnny's work please do visit the episode page or follow the links in the podcast notes. This interview took place in Newcastle in June 2023 and is an edited version of a longer conversation. I'd like to thank Johnny for taking the time to talk to me about both his approach and his exhibition Shipbuilders and Fisherfolk which is on at Hartlepool Gallery and at Hartlepool Museum until November 2023 and also for creating the custom artwork for this episode. I really enjoyed making this one and I hope that you enjoy listening to our conversation. Thanks for joining me today, Johnny. Can we hear a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I'm a freelance illustrator. I would always say illustrator as opposed to artist. Um, So I'm I'm a commercial artist, if you like. I always have been. I studied at Liverpool, did my BA there, did my MA in London at Royal College of Arts. And I was always taught by people who were commercial artists, people who who drew pictures for a living. And, And I think when I knew that that was a possibility before that period, that excited me, the fact that I could make money from from drawing and, and whatnot, uh, making images and working for clients. So yeah, so I'm a freelance illustrator, but also I do exhibitions as well, which is maybe not necessarily a traditional part of the illustrator's remit. And so the two things have come together. So commissions have become exhibitions <clears throat> and it's, it's it's been great. Um, so I work for a variety of clients. I mean, the, the big jobs I've done is I did a did a set of stamps for Royal Mail. That was about four years ago. That was good, five years ago. Um, I've done a, a illustrated book for the Folio Society, which is always a dream job to get. A um, great book called A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. And um, other highlights have included wee jobs for the New York Times. That was quite exciting. Very short deadlines um, done six six hours in advance for, the, for me or them. I can't remember which. And um, yeah, uh, other things, Penguin Books, they were great to work for. There's a legendary art director there called John Hamilton, sadly now passed away. He was good to work for. Um, but yeah, and then more recently I've been working on bigger commissions, longer commissions that last at least a year, in one case two years because of the pandemic, and then um, which ended up as exhibitions, um, which have also ended up then as things I can sell. Because any exhibition I do is always a selling exhibition. So so it's been great. It's been my, my kind of, yeah, it's not all fun and games, but I'm very fortunate that I get paid money to, to paint and draw and print. So with those commissions, not necessarily the exhibitions, but some of those mm. things that you talked about there, mm. like the stamps, is mm. that where somebody will approach you and say, we've got a specific brief here, can you yeah. create 
X number of yeah. drawings for these stamps. The, the stamps one was an interesting one because my agent phoned me up and said, somebody wants you to do some tests for a set of stamps. So a design company called NB, based in London, they, they work with the Royal Mail on a regular basis, I think, and they said, we'll put a, a number of people forward to, for this commission. So it was all at the, the test base, um, the test stage of things. Um, and so I went into that job thinking I won't get it. You know, I'll, I'll do the tests because you get paid for tests, which is nice. But I thought I won't get it. I'll never get this job, you know. So I did tests for two stamps and then they said, do you want to do a third one? I goes, yeah, okay. So then this carried on for weeks. And then I finally did tests for eight stamps, eight individual stamps. And at this point, I still didn't have the job. So it's funny because, but I don't know quite how many people were involved to begin with. They obviously got whittled down. And then maybe after about four months of tests, they phoned me up and said, that's it, you've got the job. And then I said, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? And they said, well, you've, you've done the stamps, so it's, the job's done. So, <laughs> so it's an interesting one because I, throughout that period, I'd done all the stamps. And I thought I'd therefore, I thought I'd go back into them and refine them. They goes, no, don't do that, whatever you do. Otherwise, there'll be more changes made. So that's it, the job's done. Uh, we'll now work on the, the presentation packs and then get them out there. Um, and that was a moment, you know, as a kind of graphic artist, illustrator, commercial artist, whatever you want to call me, um, that was a moment where uh, the day they were published, I, could, I wasn't allowed to say anything about the job. It was all top secret until the day they were published. So the day they were published, I went to my local post office in Shirley High Street in Southampton. I said, do you have a pack of Curious Customs? He goes, yeah, I've got seven. I said, can I have them all? He said, oh, I can't, can't give you all of them. I've got some collectors coming in later. I said, well, I designed them. And the, the guy behind the kitten was overjoyed. So he came out, he took my photograph. Um, and that was, you know, I felt like a minor celebrity on Shirley High Street for a few hours. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So that was, and that was one of the jobs where I, I then went, I got them. I sat down and looked at them because I'd not, I'd not seen them beforehand. I'd seen nothing until other than oh, the, wow. the images I'd sent off. Um, and it's one of those, you know, my mum and dad passed away a long time ago. And it's one of those moments where I thought, I wish... Gene and Jack could have yeah. seen these. That was kind of very, almost, almost pride got in the bay there. Um, but it was a nice, nice job to do. So. And and something like the Penguin books, are you working, mm. I guess, to a title of a book there? Yeah. So, I mean, when I first left college, I met John Hamilton, this legendary art director who was from Glasgow. Um, and we got chatting, and we, we got chatting about music, uh, country music, uh, mostly. And then he said, the phone rang, that's when phones rang, as opposed to emails pinged. He said, I've got a job for you. We want six John Steinbeck covers. Now, John Steinbeck, I love. So I thought, what, what a great job to get. So, so I think from that, from that point, I've, had, I've been lucky. I've had commissions that have, been, have come my way that people know I'd be interested in. I have done the odd commission that is, you know, that's no interest to me whatsoever, but it's still good to do. But to get six John Steinbeck covers was fantastic. And again, it relates to that whole thing of country music and Woody Guthrie and that kind of thing. So that was that was great to do. And that was when I painted book covers, which I've, I've come around to doing again. Um, so I so that was great fun to work on. Um, the six books came out, and then that, that's still still one of my best jobs, I think. Um, that, that was. So do you get like a steer for that, like either a stylistic steer or in terms of what the content might be, or is it fairly open? Is it pretty free reign? Do they say, oh, say we want mm. some fields that kind of have this kind of feel yeah. to it or um i suppose it was fairly open um with some book covers they're heavily art directed and you know I, I did a couple of crime novels years ago and they were very specific what they wanted and and what they didn't want i discovered um but john at penguin he was quite up for doing that the illustrators should do what they do and then then take it from there because um, with certain commissions the worst thing you can hear from an art director is do whatever you want 
then you do whatever you want, then they say, oh no, we didn't want that. You know? <laughs> so that always causes a bit of confusion. Um, but I think the, the good art directors kind of, they, they give you freedom, but they also, they're clever enough to, to not give you too much freedom, otherwise you might go off at tangents that, that you know, wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's the commissions vary um, in terms of deadline, they vary as well. The shortest job I did was maybe four hours for the New York Times. That was the day that Obama got elected the first time round. That was all about him. That was quite exciting. Um, and I suppose the longest commissions I've been experiencing recently with the exhibitions. So, so yeah, it's been a mix of deadlines, which is always, always fun. Um, it's never really, really stressful, I don't think. Um, I think it's always, I've always got to remember that a long time ago, I was getting ready to teach one day and I was getting dressed and I thought, I said to my wife, I don't know if I can face this. And she said, you're not going down the pit. You know, so I've always got to remember that if I think drawing is hard work, I'm, I'm not going down the pit, you know. So I've got to put that into context and realise yeah. how, how fortunate I am. So how would you describe your work? Because I think stylistically it's really unique. It's, yeah. when I see your work, I know it's your work. Oh, good. That's good. <laughs> I have a card that somebody sent me oh, wow. uh, for last year, and I, as soon as I opened it, I knew it was your work <laughs> straight away before I'd even looked oh, at the back. Oh, um, well, my work is quite graphic. It's not subtle whatsoever. Um, but my wife paints, um, and she, as I always say, she's a proper painter in the house. Um, so my colour sense is quite basic. I'm a bit colour blind. Um, not, not very, but enough to slightly cause problems now and again. So my colours are red blue, yellow, black and white, and maybe shades of those colours. There's nothing ever too subtle. Um, so it's quite bold, I think. And again, it's I grew up with record covers. So when we were at school, all we wanted to do was, let's design record covers, it would be a great job. Um, I have since done a couple, which I'm quite pleased about. But um, but yeah, so it was always that thing of um, graphic art that kind of grabs your attention. Um, so so my work is quite, yeah, it's quite bold, it's quite graphic. Um, it's all, nearly always got text in it, so I love hand-drawn lettering. I love the fact that lettering is just drawing. You know, I, th I think it's that, you know, within the art school, as I always joke, there's two myths. One is that illustrators can't do typography, another one is that graphic designers can't draw. And as, as I always joke, only one of them is actually true. Um, so, um, just to annoy the graphic designers out there. Um, so, yeah, so for me, it's, it's, it's drawing. It always comes back to drawing. Um, I use digital media sometimes. Um, less less so these days. I've kind of gone through my digital phase and, and come out the other side with a paintbrush in my hand. Um, but but certainly it's, yeah, it's it's bold, it's graphic, it's always got text in it somewhere. I did one piece that didn't have any text. My wife said that looks a bit odd. Um, so so people expect lettering in what I do. And so for, for me, my work is just it's influenced by people like, well, when I was doing my BA, there was a kind of trio of American illustrators, um, printmakers, um, Ben Shan, David Stone Martin, and Antonio Frasconi who all influenced me deeply. And then when I did my, my Emmy, I, I found the, the British equivalent, which was Eric Revelius, Edward Borden, and uh, Barnett Friedman. So uh, they, they tend to come in clumsy three with me. Um, and just that, they combine text and image effortlessly. You know, there was, you know, there's that, these days, obviously you have a BA in graphics and a BA in illustration, and and some courses merge the two together, and there's a kind of playfulness there, which I think is quite nice. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think it's all, it's all one thing, effectively. It's just about communication. You know, if, if my work doesn't communicate, if people are scratching their heads while looking at a book cover that I've done, then I know that I haven't done a very good job. Um, so in, in many ways, I approach it in a very simplistic manner. It's got to communicate. It's got to get the, the viewer, get the message across to the viewer. Um, 
but make it playful. I think that's a key thing. Um, I think humour can be good. Um, you know, I'm fairly, I like having bits of humour in my work, um, little jokes and whatnot. Yeah, and I, I like to think that people can can spot my work. Um, I had a, a message from somebody the other day in Edinburgh saying, did you do this poster? If not, you've been ripped off. It was, it was my poster, so that was fine. Uh, a poster for James Yorkston, the great singer. Um, so I was good, I thought, okay, that's good. Because I have been ripped off, I think, um, now and again. There's a, what, it's, people appropriating your style? Yeah. I went into my local bar um, in Southampton and I said to the bar person, can I look at that wine label? So this wine label looked very much like my work and I didn't do it. Um, and I then put it on Instagram and there was a rally of support, which I was quite pleased about. People going, this is ridiculous, how dare they? And we could never quite get to the bottom of who did it. Um, you know, I think that day I posted it on Instagram, obviously, and my hashtag was, get your own visual language. Um, so my visual language, you know, a phrase that we use a lot in education, is a, a, a cut and paste of many things, you know, from Victorian lettering and, and pub signs and whatnot, through to, you know, the sort of the post-war boom in illustration. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of outside of that, a lot of outside of that, and kind of naive art brut, as they call it in France. So it's a, mi- a mishmash of all those things. Um, and, and these days I'm, I'm almost approaching abstraction, which is almost a contradiction in terms. For the illustration, uh, abstract illustration is almost a, a pointless thing, but I'm, I'm trying it and seeing what it looks like. In what way? What, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I think <coughs> abstraction is... You know, people like John Piper. So John Piper's a great kind of graphic artist, you know, a painter really. But he mer- he went over into abstraction um, to the point where it was just, it, it, it didn't communicate any longer, you know. To, to communicate in an abstract way, it's, it's a task that, yeah, I don't think I'll ever pull off. Um, so I think illustration is often about the image, you know, the, the object, you know. So if you're doing a book cover, John Steinbeck, you try and avoid the obvious, that's a key thing. You try and uh, pick on symbols, um, so if you're doing the Grapes of Wrath, obviously I, di- I didn't do a family on the back of a truck um, migrating to, to the California, because that would have been too obvious. But then you're picking out wee bits from the book that are quite quite subtle again. Right. Um, so there's subtleties within the unsubtleties, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you, I suppose you're creating an, an ambience for the, the image as opposed to anything that people can recognise instantly. Um, so yeah, but it's just, I think painting is something that makes you you know, well, it's all, I've always joked, and it's, it's not really, it's no longer a joke, I don't think. But I, I've set my, my watch by a film called The Rebel with Tony Hancock, uh, where Tony Hancock goes to Paris, chucks his job in, goes to Paris, and begins painting, doing really bad paintings, but then makes him, it does an action painting, which is just fantastic. Um, so I've always wanted to be Tony Hancock in The Rebel, um, and I, I'll never get there, you know. Um, but it, it's that, that thing of maybe getting carried away with mark making, um, so that you suddenly start throwing paint around and then, then maybe stand back and think maybe it's not very good, you know. Um, so so but I will always come back to the image, you know, the, the object that people can, can visually attach themselves to. Um, but within that, you can be quite playful and, and almost abstract. How do you work? So what does your average day look like? Do you, do you get up and work straight away? Or? Uh, it, it depends how tight the deadlines are. Um, so... More recently, the deadlines have been longer, so I've had a bit of room to breathe. Um, so I kind of get up and we kind of, you know, have a cup of tea, um, think about things a wee bit, and then I paint in my shed mostly. So I've got a, a studio in my garden, my shed. So I go there and begin to paint, begin to make things, or draw, or we've, we've got a house, in, a room in the house where we do kind of non-messy stuff. So my wife and I share that. Um, 
and that's where I do, if I'm using Photoshop, which I do on a regular basis, that's where I'll do that kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of, it depends what, what's most urgent, you know. So if, I'm, if I've got to work on a poster, the chances are that might be done through Photoshop. Um, that, that having the, Photoshop has that ability, you can change, you can tweak things very easy. So if somebody says, don't like that blue, you can change it to another blue, you know, with, with the click of a button. Um, so the, the digital world has that attraction of <coughs> problem solving, um, you know, for clients. Um, so it depends, uh, but if, if I'm painting, I'll kind of go into the shed with a cup of tea and begin to, you know, the first thing I've always got to do is tidy up because always, it's, it's never, it's always a mess, you know, it's, and, and I'm quite messy. Um, but that's why I'm, I became a creative person. I think, you know, as a young, when you're young, you're told to tidy up constantly for the obvious reasons. Now I don't really have to, until it gets to a point where I'm in a, a pigsty and I've got to start from scratch. Um, so yeah, so you often kind of clear the desk and then, put the music on, I've got a wee record player in my shed, so I'll put some records on um, and then begin drawing and painting and see what happens. Cutting up bits of wood, I like working on materials that are quite robust, like wood and stuff. Um, if it's Photoshop things, I kind of go upstairs and switch to open up the laptop. Check emails, obviously, emails come in thick and fast these days, um, try and get on top of them. So you're kind of, no two days are the same, but you're kind of juggling various avenues to, to make it make it make sense. Um, but then, yeah, so I try and work as long as I can. I mean, there's that, that thing of the morning is good. That once you can get stuck in first thing in the morning, you can get a lot done. By kind of three o'clock, my wife comes home. She's a technician at a school. So then we kind of have a cup of coffee together and then we kind of have a break. And then I, I, I'm not so good at working late at nights these days, um, but I will, now and again, I will work late. Um, with this recent commission, the Hartlepool job, I've had to, because I've had, just had so much to do. I've given myself too much to do, as I often do. So I've been working late, um, but yeah, but it's just quite nice to kind of, it, it, each day evolves naturally, I think. Um, well, if you're in a blind panic, it can be quite unnatural, but that's, <laughs> that's fine, you, you, you just, you've got to do it, you know. Um, I don't have a, sh a studio at home that has printmaking facilities, so I go to a studio to do that. Um, so that, again, it's, it's quite nice to get out of the house sometimes, and um, there's nothing worse than being sort of locked in your house for too long. Once I had a discussion with a friend of mine, we talked about how, as a creative person, you create your own island. But we then agreed that you've got to have a good ferry service to the mainland, because if you don't have that, you might just go disappear um, in your own space, and that's, that's not good. So, so you know, as, as a friend of mine once said, um, I told her a story where I said to my wife, what do you think of this painting? And she goes, that's good, uh, but we need some red milk from Sainsbury's. So now I've got to go and get red milk. So skim milk, as we, as we call it. So yeah, so you've got to remember that there's an outside world there that you've got to be part of. And if you kind of, if you create this kind of, don't know, bohemian idyllic atmosphere, that can cause problems. So you mentioned the Hartlepool job that you've been working on at the moment. Yeah, so Hartlepool, um, that's my last, well, my current big commission. Um, so I, I, did, I did some work for the Museums of Northumberland, but the four museums called Museums of Northumberland. That was a commission that started back in 2019. I, that was the first commission I applied for. So unlike the stamps where that was a test thing, I mean, this, this was a really kind of shot in the dark where my agent phoned me up and said, you're being contacted by some museums in Northumberland who want you to apply for this commission. And I, again, I thought, well, why would, they, why would they give me the job? It's kind of, you know, is there any point? They say the theme of the project is folklore in Northumberland. Now, I've always been a big fan of folklore. My stamps were all about British folklore, actually. So again, the job came to me because people know what I'm interested in. 
So I thought, well, we'll, we'll give it a try. My wife said, you've got nothing to lose. Put a proposal together, submit it. If nothing happens, you, you've not, you know, you've lost nothing. So I did. So I put in a proposal to museums in Northumberland. I then got shortlisted, so I had to go up for the interview. So I flew up in a day from Southampton to Newcastle. We went to Woodhall Museum. And then the, the interview, I thought, went a bit, I was a bit nervous. And I thought, this, this hasn't gone that well. So I came out of there thinking, oh, well, at least it was, it was nice to be in, up north for the day. Um, got home, and then two weeks later, I got the job. So that, that led to a year-long commission, making four exhibitions for four museums in Northumberland. Of course, it became then a two-year commission because of the pandemic. Um, so it was quite wise, I think, that we kind of postponed things for the year. I then just kept making work. Um, and during that period, because I got that commission, I had my sabbatical from teaching. So I used to teach two days a week. Um, I, I used to teach more than that, but then it went down to two days a week. So I had a sabbatical from that. And then I got the, the taste of maybe not teaching for a wee while. So then, um, so then the commission happened, but the, the museums, um, the exhibitions opened just as we came out of the, the second lockdown. So it was good to, because it, it could easily have maybe not happened. It, it could have been maybe a virtual exhibition or something. But I'm delighted that it did become an actual four existing exhibitions. Then one of the curators at Woodhorn got a new job at Hartlepool and she then contacted me a bit later and said, do you want to do something similar in Hartlepool? Now again, it's very similar to Northumberland, I knew nothing about these places. So I'd, I'd, never, I'd never set foot in Morpeth until I had to. And same with Hexham, Berwick-upon-Tweed even, um, Ashington. These places were all kind of new to me. And then Hartlepool was the same thing. So I'd never been to Hartlepool. Went up for the day, uh, well, I think I stayed maybe w one night, and then um, then we got chatting, and then I thought this, this feels good. So again, it's another another town that, that I, f I found instantly quite exciting. Um, and yeah, so then the Hartlepool project began last summer, and then it's, it's ran a year, and now it's up on the walls. So it's two exhibitions in Hartlepool till the beginning of November. So yeah, so it's been great. So my commission was to celebrate the kind of maritime heritage of Hartlepool through shipbuilding and through fishing. So I began to explore that and then, then I kind of skewed the brief slightly and, and kind of asked if I could once again include what I call urban folklore. Just little stories that maybe don't relate to the sea but relate to the town. So but by this point I devised my title which was Shipbuilders and Fisher Folk. And the minute I got that title, which I still like, um, I was conscious that is it a bit nostalgic? You know, there's still fishing going on, not as much as there used to be, a fraction of what there used to be. Shipbuilding finished in the 60s, that's long gone. So I was I was conscious that I didn't want just to make it this kind of nostalgia trip, you know, you know there's that kind of that phrase, it, it, it was better back then. Um, so I started to introduce more up-to-date things, looked at people who come from Hartlepool, um, including people like Naby Price, who's a painter based in Newcastle, and then began to think, what, what can I do with this? Um, so I began to create this, this <coughs> collection of work that was, yeah, but it, it became a celebration of the town, really. Um, so some people had no connection with the sea whatsoever, other than the fact that they're from Hartlepool, which instantly connects you with the sea, I think. You can't get away from that. And then began making work, and it's now, it's now done, now up on the walls. I'm really pleased with it. Again, um, again, I, I treat Hartlepool as a blank canvas. I knew nothing. I looked on websites. There's, not, there's a few books, but not many. I handed out wee booklets asking for stories. Again, it's that thing of saying to people, give me your stories. And, um, and so, it, so what were they? Were they... Little publications that you put into local places just to try and gain some traction there. Yeah, I think I, I did that with the Northumberland project. So we booklets that were put in libraries and, and pubs and cafes. I'm not sure how successful that was, you know, because I, 
I think I love Prince of the Femme. I love wee booklets. I love getting a wee something, postcards, that kind of thing. And obviously, but you know, we're now in a digital age where it's a lot of people they'd rather answer things on the phone as opposed to yeah. writing things down. So with the Northumberland project, I learned a few things. I learned maybe what what not to replicate. Um, so this time round, I got fewer booklets printed, only 1,000 as opposed to 3,000, which I've still got lots of them at home, if anybody wants one. Um, and then began to hand them out really, in person, so rather, rather than leave them, because people didn't seem to want to pick them up that often. It did happen, but not, not very often. So with Hartlepool, there was luckily there was a couple of wee festivals happening. So there was a thing called the Waterfront Festival, which celebrates the waterfront in Hartlepool, the marina and whatnot. So I was part of that. Then I was part of the, the Hartlepool Folk Festival. So handing out booklets there. And I think that handing it out and being able to kind of tell people verbally, that, that combination seemed to work better. Right. Um, and unlike the Northumberland project, which was four, four locations uh, and places in between, Hartlepool was one town, you know. Now Hartlepool's made up of three, potentially four bits, you know. But even so, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a small area. So it was more kind of centralised, which was quite nice. So, um, so yeah, so I began handing the booklets out, seeing people give me your stories. What is there anything that quirky that you know of that from this town? Because I said, do- documentation of Hartlepool is quite thin on the ground. And our books, they tend to be, there's certainly no recent books. And um, Robert Wood was a great Hartlepool historian. Um, so his book is published in, the, I'm guessing, the 1960s. Um, and then since then, a lot of it is just, yeah, it's just been kind of left to, you know, word of mouth type um, histories. So I thought, can I get some of these? Um, and just by speaking to people, they said, oh, do you know about such and such? I was going, no, I don't. So I wrote it down and then did a wee bit of further research. But a lot of them, with a lot of these stories, there was no further research to be had, you know. So people would tell me about a character from Hartlepool and that was it, that because it wasn't on the internet. And it's, I still find it quite satisfying that there's not everything's on the internet. You know, we, yeah. we, we, we type into Google what we want and not everything comes up, which is quite nice, I think. Especially in terms of folklore, because the folklore is, by its very nature, is this kind of mysterious thing. What is folklore? You know, that's a bigger question I can't answer today. Um, then, yeah, then started to kind of do some scribbles and then turned them into finished artworks. So, so yeah, so it's, it's been great. It's been really exciting. A few names keep coming up. Um, so Fish Annie was one. So there's this fish seller. Annie Simpson was her name. And she was this woman who would sell fish on the headland, uh, part of Hartlepool, from a pram. So that's, that's great. You know, the idea of this kind of fish seller walking down the streets yeah. with a pram, jam-packed fully fresh fish. You know, just, you know, what, what a great idea that is. Um, there's stories that, you know, was the, fe- was the fish very fresh? Maybe it wasn't, but I don't care. You know, it's still the, you know, as a kind of shop seller, you know. It's a really mm-hmm. vivid image, isn't yeah, it? To, absolutely. And, yeah. to, to latch on to. Mm. So what other kinds of, of, of stories were you told? Well, I got told a good one again. I think my second visit, somebody said um, there was a guy called Captain Cutlass from Hartlepool who was a gang leader. So that sounds quite exciting. So um, he was a teddy boy gang leader. And I thought, well, I'll teddy boys. Visually, teddy boys are a dream come true, you know, from the haircuts to the beetle crusher shoes to the, the drape, um, drape suits. Um, I thought this, you know, this is great. He was head of the, the turquoise gang. So this, what an odd name, the white turquoise. I've never got to the bottom of that. I love it, it's one of my favourite colours. So, and, and the story goes that the turquoise gang went down to London to sort out the Cray twins. So I mean, that's just the stuff of legend, you know. And the various stories... I think there's a lot of those in each <laughs> town. There's definitely one in Newcastle. Oh, is there? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Somebody who met them off the train uh, and uh, sent them packing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so apparently the turquoise gang went down to King's Cross 
the Mets got wind of this and then turned them straight back. Um, other stories are that they, they did have some kind of um, to do with the Cray gang and then they got beaten up. So I don't know which is true, you know, I don't mind either way. Um, but the fact that they, they thought, we're going to take it upon ourselves to sort out Ronnie and Reggie Cray, you know, um, which is fantastic. Dressed up as teddy boys, you know, because well, that's what they were, you know. So that, that's that been good fun to explore. Um, and then other stories like, um, stories that are kind of more rooted in fact, you know. Um, so stories like the, the Can House, which is a phenomenal outsider art masterpiece. That's what I think, not everybody agrees with me. Um, but Philip, Philip Muspratt was his name. He stuck, um, as he drank his beer cans, he would stick them to the side of his house and then created this amazing kind of thing. You know, I don't know quite how to describe it. The can house has since been demolished. I, I missed it by about maybe six or seven years. So by the time I got to Hartlepool, it was long gone. But just that notion of somebody, you know, as they drink their cans, and he seemed to drink, him and his family drank quite a lot of cans, um, they would kind of get the glue gun out and then stick them to the side of the house. And, and I think the exciting thing was that when you see photographs of it, he obviously, he thought ahead. He wasn't just, it wasn't a willy-nilly process. So he created, devises great patterns with the cans. So he wasn't, you know, he, he was, he, he knew what he was doing, I think, Philip Muspratt. Um, wonderful. And there's a great wee film about him um, on Vimeo by a guy called Maxi Bianco. Maxi's a, a kind of local filmmaker who also he runs a great pub called The Ill in Hartlepool on Scarborough Street. And so he went, he's explored the kind of urban folklore of Hartlepool long before I did. And those films are well worth watching. Um, so yeah, so the, the, as a you know as a kind of family on Ruby Road, um, they, w- they would kind of create these. Well, he created this kind of this kind of outsider art masterpiece, as I would call it. Not everybody in Hartlepool loved the Can House. I think some people saw it as an eyesore, but I don't know. I, I think it shows you know a kind of a devil makey attitude. You know, let's kind of customize this commoner garden council house into something extraordinary, and it was. Um, yeah. So there were some things in the exhibition as well about different venues that were in Hartlepool. So I remember seeing a piece about the owl and also about um, the fisherman's arms. Fisherman's arms, yeah. yeah. So again, in my exhibition, there's, there's, in, there's, a chunk, there's in sort of clumps. So there's a whole clump um, called um, uh, Purveyors of Yesteryear, which is shops that have long since gone. I think shops, you know, become the place, I think. The idea of, you know, shops that, that sold quirky things or certain things... Um, I think, you know, we, we, we crave individual shops. I think within a kind of day and age where every high street has a Primark and a, a New Look and a Max and & Spencer's and Boots and whatnot. But we kind of crave for the, the shops that maybe had, that were run by individuals as opposed to big companies. Yeah. And I think we, we're getting there. I think there's a kind of resurgence in that. Um, we're getting back to the notion that, that it doesn't have to be kind of chain-driven. But obviously Hartlepool, like every other town a long time ago, was, was had nothing but individual uh, shops, really. And then, then they all started to go, um, but now they're coming back. So there was a group, Purveyors of Yesteryear. Then there was a, a clump of paintings called uh, Emporiums to Enjoy. So that was in the gallery, and that's where they ta- I did a thing about the ill, um, the Fisherman's Arms and the Headland, a legendary pub. The, the Headland was, was famous for pubs. It had so many pubs, the Headland. It was just phenomenal. Then, one by one, they've all kind of disappeared, you know, so there's not many left now. Um, but yeah, but it's just a, um, it's a lovely bee pub, they do music, um, the nice couple who run it. It's also associated closely with the Hartlepool Folk Festival, so they'll kind of have bands playing in and stuff, and performers and whatnot. And it's just that thing of a, a pub as a hub of the community, and even if you're, you're not a drinker per se, the idea of a pub, a place where you can go in and feel comfortable, um, I think it's very important. So, so I celebrated that. Um, 
There's a wee second-hand shop called Needful Things. I did a wee piece about that. I walked into that shop on my second visit and I had a wee bookcase and I spotted a spine and I thought, well, that looks exciting. So it was a, a Folio Society book um, and it's about sort of poems and sort of snippets by John Betjeman. I love John Betjeman. Um, but it's illustrated by my, my old tutor, Peter Bailey. So I thought, this is this is a, this is a match made in heaven. So uh, John Betjeman, Peter Bailey, I, I bought that, obviously, I read that on the train to be home that day. Um, so it's just that thing of stumbling across things. Um, and yeah, I think that, 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 that thing of shops that are individual, um, that are special, um, I've always enjoy celebrating. A lot of your work seems to come from relationships with people in that area so it seems that a big part of your work when you get a commission like the Museum's Northumberland one or at Hartlepool is that you you get out there and talk to people and kind of learn what's happening and the dynamics of a local area and then from there all of that material starts to come in. Yeah I think that's really important and it's a funny one because it's not it can sometimes be a bit uncomfortable you know if you're dropped into a brand new place and you've got to somehow start making contact. Because I'm not, you know, as my wife says, sometimes you don't talk enough, you know. So I can be the kind of, I can happily sit there in silence and kind of, you know, raise my eyebrows at things that do get said by other people, um, <laughs> slightly snobbishly. Um, so so I was, suddenly I'm in Hartlepool and I think I've got to, I've got to start speaking to people. I've got to kind of, I've got to somehow, you know, from, I'm still on the outside obviously, but I've got to somehow begin to, integrate myself because um, my big fear of doing commissions like the Northumberland one like Hartlepool is what I wouldn't want is to be some kind of voyeur you know, to be right. somebody who who sort of sort of gets off the train and looks at things and goes away and then makes all the work it's a safer thing. way of or it feels like a safer way of doing it yeah so I mean, it feels quite risky sometimes some of the the approaches that you might be taking aye I, I think it, I just I got it's that thing of yeah because I mean Hartlepool is it's a working class town. There's no two ways about it. Um, I still think I'm working class. Regardless of how much my shoes cost, I'm still working class. Grew up working class, always will be, I think. Um, so, and you know, and, and my, my parents, when they were alive, were very proud of the fact that I, was, I wasn't going down the pit. The pits had closed by that time anyway, so it wasn't an option. Um, but just the notion that, that you could go into education and come out the other side and make money doing something that, you know, that they enjoyed. Yeah. Um, that was an alien concept to all of my family before my generation. Um, so I'm doing that and that's good. But you go to Hartlepool and you're conscious that you don't, I'd, I'd hate to, to show up in a place like Hartlepool and people think, who's who's the arty buffoon, you know, and what's he doing here and what, you know, why is he asking those stupid questions? So it's trying to kind of be sympathetic um, and trying to kind of speak to people. Um, things like, you know, at, 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 in Hartlepool, there was a bloke who I met early on called Ian Lightfoot and Ian's been brilliant. And Ian's, uh, there's a group of volunteers at the, what was the old museum in Hartlepool, where they archive stuff. So they're keeping, they're kind of cataloguing Hartlepool's history. And they're mainly retired people um, of a certain age. But Ian's good, and he's a local painter as well. Um, he was an art teacher for years, but he's now very enthusiastic about Hartlepool's history. And he said, right, we're going to go to, a th- what are you doing on Wednesday? I'm, I'm not doing anything. He goes, well, let's go to a folk club. Um, but they will expect you to sing. I said, oh, oh God, right. So I said, well, can we have a guitar? They goes, yeah, well, make sure there's a guitar. So we pitched up at the, the Foggy Fuzz Folk Club, which is in the Athenaeum. And the Athenaeum is a very historic Hartlepool building. Uh, phenomenal place. Um, the Athenaeum, I believe, only until recently, um, they wouldn't allow women in. So it's really kind of steeped in that kind of Victorian mentality. Right. Uh, but it's, nevertheless, it's, it's a great place. Um, so I pitched up at the Foggy Fuzz Folk Club 
having had a quick practice of some songs that I could maybe get by with. And um, and then that first night, somebody sang a song by a guy called Alan Todd, who's a local singer-songwriter. Now, Alan Todd, don't look for him on the internet, you won't find anything, I don't think. He didn't record, uh, performed at folk clubs over various, you know, a number of years. Um, and then that was the end of it, really. Um, Alan's since passed away, but his daughter was there, Jill. So she was singing a song. I was like, this is ex- quite exciting. The idea of this sort of local singer-songwriter who we kind of, you know, is fairly unknown. Um, this is something to illustrate here. So then I started down that route, um, sang a few songs that night, got chatting to people, kept going back to the Foggy Fuzz time and time again. When I was in town, I'd try and pop in and again sing a song or two. Um, and it just became, yeah, I got to know people. Um, that then led to another folk club in a place called Wolverston, run by the Wilson family. Um, wonderful singers. So yeah, so it's it, it's trying to sort of get into the, the communities and try and kind of be sympathetic, um, not be patronising. I'll, I'll take the, the thought of doing that. Um, and kind of, you know, asking questions in a polite, respectful manner and hoping that gets some answers. And generally I did. I think a place like Hartlepool, that they were really keen for stuff to happen. So that, the idea of telling me stories about their, their town, they were, yeah, they, they loved it. And I was more than happy to listen. And there's a, a welder's mask, isn't there, in the, mm-hmm. in the exhibition? Yeah, so I, um, I used to teach until last summer and I kind of, I thought, if I don't stop doing this now, I'll, I'll never do it. So I, I chucked in teaching, got a kind of small redundancy payment, well, you know, severance payment, and then went away. But being me, being me, I had to, I want my cake and eat it. So I still go back to where I used to teach, Seoul University, and use the facilities now and again, because I need the facilities. Um, so one day I was in there using a laser cutter, and Ben, the head technician, they were about to move buildings, and he said, do you want some welding masks? I was like, oh my God, this is... Perfect, you know, but who wouldn't want five welding masks? So, so he gave me five. Um, I didn't need five, but I took them all, obviously. And then, you know, the whole thing of shipbuilding. Um, so having looked in shipbuilding, again, you know, I can't get in a time machine and go back and draw shipbuilders. It's just not possible. But the BFI player uh, has got a few films. Um, there's a great film about a ship being built in Hartlepool in the late 40s. It's great, and it's, it shows that it's not quite from start to finish, but it's not far off it. So you've got this great footage of these sort of riveters and people people with welding and whatnot. Um, riveters with, with no um, no health and safety considerations whatsoever. You know, <laughs> a bloke with his, his tank top on, his braces on, a glove for the, the riveting gun, and that's it. He's just kind of hammering these rivets in. No goggles, nothing. Um, that's how you used to do it back then. But the, the welding mask was exciting, so I thought, what can I do with this? Um, so I decided, so I did a kind of whole ensemble of a boiler suit. I've got to think about boiler suits. Um, got some gloves, some boots, and a welding mask. Um, and on the welding mask, I, can, I began to illustrate a song called Jack Ironside by a guy called Graham Miles. Now, Graham Miles, again, is certainly better known than Alan Todd in the folk scene, but he's still quite obscure. Um, so Graham Miles, he doesn't travel much further than Teesside, I don't think, but phenomenal songwriter. Graham Miles had this thing where he's quite... Graham Miles was way ahead of his time, I think. He was kind of very ecologically sound. He's, he sang songs about sort of Greetham Creek, where the animals were... Buds were kind of being chased away by industry and whatnot. Um, it's a great song called Running Fox, which I think is a kind of anti-authoritarian anthem, for me anyway. Um, but he does a song called Jack Ironside, and about how industry comes to a place, but then it goes. Um, and it's phenomenal. And it's, th- there's a version of it by the band called The, the Youngins, so that's on Spotify, have a listen to that. Um, and it's just great, it's a wonderful song. And it's about how industry comes, it happens, progress is achieved, and then, I think on the, the last verse, 
Uh, the, the line is something like, now what are you supposed to do standing in the long doll queue? So it's wonderful. Um, it's all about society, Graham Miles' songs. Great stuff. So Jack Ironside is my kind of, that's that's painted on the welding mask, my homage to Graham, one of my several homages to Graham Miles. Um, and the thing about welding masks, it's, it's quite fun to paint on things that aren't flat. So as an illustrator, you often work on a flat surface, which you can scan in or photograph to send to the client. So painting on an object is, I've always found exciting. Um, it's, it's that thing of vandalising or defacing or customising, whatever you want to call it, but there's something about painting on things that, that aren't a bit of paper I find very thrilling. Um, getting the paints out, see what happens, and uh, yeah, it was, it was great fun to do. So there's a section as well where you've worked with the permanent collection yeah. um, that's on display in, in Hartlepool Art Gallery. So yeah. I was really intrigued by that because of the approach that you've taken to interpreting those. You've, you've painted the interpretation directly onto the wall. They're your thoughts or yeah. kind of ideas about the work. I was, I was really, really intrigued by that. That, that was great fun to do because I, um, similar, because at Woodhall Museum I had the same thing, but I had access to the collection that they've got. So they've got the Pittman painter. So I was very pleased to have my prints next to a piece by Jimmy Floyd, for example. That was a real treat. Um, but I kind of, uh, funny, at Woodhall Museum I purposely chose to have little interpretation, almost none, really. Mm. I just wanted to kind of sit seamlessly together. For this one, I decided to kind of completely make a bit of a song and dance about it. So. So I've got access to their collection in Hartlepool Art Gallery, and it's great. I get, like a lot of, like every art gallery, once you get behind the scenes, there's all sorts of things that you can you know, uncover. And they had, they've got two pigs by John Bratby, who I'm a big fan of, known as a kitchen sink painter. That whole kind of kitchen sink thing I love, you know, from the painters to poets, to people, you know, filmmakers like Tony Richardson, you know, the Saturday Night Sunday Morning, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I love that kind of, again, it's, the, it's when working class people begin to get represented in, this, in cinema. Um, realistically, you know, at least sympathetically, yeah. you know. So yeah, so big fan of that. Um, then had a painting by, as I mentioned, Larry Price earlier, so I got one of his paintings. And so I began to kind of dig around and then chose, I think it's about 12 paintings. And then my, my first idea was I'll do a visual response to the painting. And then I thought, well, rather than me do another painting, which would never be as good as a John Bratby, you know, it could never possibly be, I don't think. What can I do instead? So I said to Angela, the curator, I said, can I, can I draw on the walls? Um, almost tell stories and she said okay why not so I went away and started to kind of I thought about this for months I said you know I called it my visual essay it's not an essay you know because I, I was never very good at essays when I was at college um, so I thought I'll begin typing uh, and I put it off for a long long time so I, I had one go at it and I I suppose I was starting to sound a bit preachy you know I was kind of saying you must come to an art gallery because art galleries are brilliant and blah 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 and then I thought am I I'm not delivering a sermon you know and again if you want somebody to do something if you tell them to do it, they're not going to do it. I know I, I often don't, you know. Um, so I thought, what can I do now? So I, I, I called it In Praise of the Collection or Stories from the Sea's Edge. So every painting, not every painting related to the sea, but the fact it's in Hartlepool meant it was connected to the sea. So I kind of began to tell a story about beginning at the sea with a painting by Simon Bartram, a fantastic, uh, mainly children's book illustrator, I think, a wonderful illustrator and then we ended back at the sea so we kind of came inland for the wee bit to the John Bratby's sort of interior painting then we went back to the sea we went to the seaside at Sea and Karoo so it was this kind of wee journey around Hartlepool and then ended up back at the sea with Nabi Price's painting which is of the promenade in the head on the headland so I'm just, it's just that thing of stories and how with every painting I began to tell what I thought the story was now I don't know what the story was you know it's I didn't paint them um, but I think that's the thing about art galleries is that you can go there 
with a, a blank mind and you can begin to make up your own stories. Um, looking at a picture, it's over to you. You are you're in control, I think. Um, if you don't like it, fine. If you love it, great. Paintings are kind of a snapshot in time. So what happened just before, what happened just after? You know, I, I love that idea of, it's like a, a movie still, you know. So yeah. we, we look at a, a still from a film and we often know what, what came before and after. But a painting, it's, it's up to you as a viewer to, to do, feel free to kind of go mad, you know, begin to think anything you fancy. Um, so then I just began to tell stories with my kind of text and I tried to keep it as informal as I possibly could. Um, that thing of, you know, gallery interpretations, um, I, you know, even though I taught for years, I would never have called myself an academic because my teaching wasn't very academic. My teaching was all hands-on. It was all about um, process. Um, so I was never... I was never one for quoting Foucault, you know, um, never read Foucault, I'm afraid. Um, so my stories I was telling were just, you know, what's happened here. And you know, the, the notion was, there's a few ship paintings because they've got a big collection of them because of Hartlepool built thousands of ships over the, the years. And I suppose that the idea was that, that is the ship coming in. There's that phrase, the ship comes in, you know, the Bob Dylan song, the hour that the ship comes in. Um, and I think, you know, Hartlepool's waiting for the ship to come in. Um, you know, Hartlepool has, it's gone through slumps. Uh, boom and bust is a phrase that's been used by several people. Um, and I think Hartley people just patiently waiting for the ship to come in. So that, that became a central theme to the whole thing. When, when will the ship come in? Um, Shipbuilding's gone, went years ago. But nevertheless, there's still that, you know, Hartley is kind of, yeah, it's on the up, I think. Um, so that was it's a kind of hopeful homage to the, the town and saying that, you know, that the ship will come in. Um, don't know when, but let's keep creating in the meantime. So yeah, so who knows what happened? And I think now it's up on the wall. I always think when it's on, the minute it hits the wall and it opens, it's now, that's, it's over to the public. You know, what do they think of it? Um, do they like it, don't they? I don't, I don't know, um, it's up to them. But certainly at Woodhorn, we had kind of comments back and I was, I was kind of blown away by the comments because people said, you know, this is my community being pictured um, in a sympathetic manner, um, colourful. It's, it's it's sort of it's exciting. I, I, I like. I think my what I hope any exhibition I do is to be entertaining. You know, I think entertainment is a big thing. Um, there's there's something that's really exciting though. I think in your work for a lot of people from a local area. I mean, it's one thing to kind of say I recognise that place, mm -hmm. and then you feel a sense of pride to it. But quite often, your work names people in there or it makes direct connections. I mean, yeah. you know, Museums Northumberland, I have a plate at home that talks about my stromboli pizza that you made that I make after every miner's picnic. <coughs> yeah. uh, it's a, a tradition in our house that I make stromboli pizza. Yeah. And it's one of those fantastic things, and there's a, a different connection altogether. Yeah. You know, all of those little bits where people can see themselves and they can see their contributions, things that they've told you being reflected in that work is... Yeah. It's really exciting for a public, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, any, you know, you just use the word tradition of making pizza after every meal. So uh, the idea of a tradition, you know, that, that's not, you know, it's not a kind of established one. It's not, you know, Shrove Tuesday. It's, it's Stromboli pizza yeah. every June, you know. That's great. So any kind of week, individual traditions, I think. You know, we, we, we look at traditions on an annual basis and, you know, from Christmas to, you know, since Swithin's Day or whatever. But we all have our own wee traditions, you know. I've, I've just been for a, a, a double espresso and a sparkling water, which is my tradition every morning about 11. Maybe not every morning, but, but that, that kind of, that helps me along, you know. So I think, and I think, you know, we, we, often, we often view things like kind of activities and traditions as being quite established, establishment-based, you know. Yeah. 
But there's something about, you know, I, I did one, I did a plate this time round. A guy told me a story that he remembers sitting on fish stands in, in the headlands in Hartlepool having chip sandwiches. A chip sandwich from Verrill's f- famous fish and chip shop. Um, and there was always a bit of sand in the sandwich because you're on the beach, you know. <laughs> um, but he said it was great, you know, then washed down with dandelion and burdock, which I've not had for years. Um, so I did a wee plate of that. And the, the guy, he was delighted with it, you know. So it is, I think, and, you know, as I said with, with the Northumberland project, no story too small. You know, a wee snippet that I can suddenly hear in conversation, like, oh, I, I could make something of yeah. that. Um, Do you see those pictures when, when you hear those? stories almost yeah I kind of I just think uh, your own little version of whatever that is and then I begin to I suppose I I do a quick scribble and then begin to how will this well will it become a finished thing it might not some things don't get turned into a finished piece of artwork but but you know what so painting on plates is good fun you know an idea of food on plates you know chip sandwich on a plate stromboli on a plate makes perfect sense Um, so it's that connection of the the material with the subject is always nice to do Um, so yeah I work quite quickly. I, d- I don't kind of hang about. I've always said to students when I taught that no, no matter what idea you've got, don't sit and think about it too long, otherwise you'll never do it and you'll just go and have a cup of tea or do the washing up and then that's it gone. I think I'm a fun believer that in terms of when it comes to the idea in your head and the finished thing, the closer you can push those two things together, the better. When it comes to exhibition stuff, if I can get that idea from my head onto a bit of paper, onto a surface, within minutes, then it will be it will be all the better for it. Yeah. Um, don't hang about because, you know, the clock's always ticking. Um, and it's just the freshness of ideas, I think. It's it's sort of, if you let things go stale, if you if you work it too much, if you do it six times, then it's, you know, you, you'll kill it, I think, yeah. so. The, the Neil Young approach to song recording. Right, well, there we go. I like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what have you got coming up? Well, I've got a new exhibition to start planning in, in Brighton, um, but a lot closer to home for me, because I live in Southampton. Um, and I'll be inviting other artists to take part in that, so that'd be quite nice. Um, and then I, I suppose I'm, I'm now back to the thing of, you know, waiting for the phone to ring or waiting for the email to, to ping. Um, oh, I've got, got to paint a sign. There's a shop in, in Hastings, St Leonard's by the Sea, they want a, a bit of sign writing, which is always good fun to do. But the, the other big thing is, um, I sort of the big vanity project we call is um, I play in a band. Um, it's what we call the midlife crisis band. That's what I call it. And um, <laughs> and we're making a record, which is, is coming. Wow. So the, it's been it's been pressed by a place in Middlesbrough, bizarrely. So again, a Teesside connection. So the test pressings are arriving at my house today. So I won't see it till Monday till I'm back home. But yeah, so we're um, so our band we're called the Postmen. If you're interested, um, and um, so we we are yeah we we. we we're playing in Hartlepool in September, which I'm quite excited about. So, um, so yeah, so we kind of that's a, a fun project that, and also playing in the band then means I make posters. We know we've got a record cover to make now, which is going to be exciting. Um, we purposely got records without covers so that we're going to make the yeah, okay. thing, screen print them. Um, so yeah, we've, we've done wee enamel badges, you know. So it's there's a whole new avenue there of kind of self promotion that you know for those of, for anybody who's interested. So, so that's good fun. Um, the the other big thing I've got to do is when I was fifty two years ago, my wife bought me an accordion, which I'm, I'm struggling with. So I've got to get to grips with the accordion. Um, so I've got to, my, my ambition is before before I die, I've got to be able to play a song called Monument de Saint John on the accordion, a classic Paris song. Um, <laughs> so I've, I, that's my <laughs> love. You have a, a, a wonderful classic song there where the song that I'm insisting that I learn before I die on the piano is the Cheers theme tune. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> I like it, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much, Johnny. I really yeah. appreciate your time. And the exhibitions on the two exhibitions are on until 
till November. November. Um, so the, the gallery is closed every Sunday and Monday, so don't go to the gallery then. The museum is open all um, five, seven days a week. Um, so yeah, but obviously go on the day you can see both things. They're both yeah. quite close to each other. Um, and the, the museum is attached to another museum, which is a naval museum, which is a big old ship, the, the Trincomalee, which is well worth a, a look. So yeah, so I think I, I like to think that for the next wee while and beyond, um, there's a fun day out in Hartlepool to be had. So, yeah. And you're gigging September? Yeah, September the 15th. Um, a, a legendary place called the, the Small Crafts Association in Hartlepool, a, a legendary social club, um, who I did some work for. So I, I got wind of the fact that they were looking to raise money to, to paint the outside because it could, could have done with sprucing up. So I said to them, well, I've got an idea. How about I do a screen print and then we sell them and you should take all the money and then... The, the payback is I want my band to play there and it goes right, get on. So so I did a, a one colour screen print at the Northern School of Art in Hartlepool. It's all made in Hartlepool. We sold them. We must have raised at least 400 quid, I think. And when I was there last week, they were, they were painting outside. So Excellent. Job done. And, but, so they, then we booked a gig. Um, so so we, yeah. So we're now um, getting ready for that. And it'd be quite fun because we, we, our band don't often leave Hampshire. It's just it's quite unusual. So to, to, on to, tour? To, I'm sorry, to go on tour, so to go all the way up to Hartlepool. And then I think we've got a, maybe a gig in Preston lined up as well. So, uh, so it'll be a northern tour and then back home to Hampshire. So, yeah. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Well, thanks very much, Sherry. Thanks for your yeah. time. Well, thanks, Ian. It's, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks very much to Hartlepool, I think. Um, kind of welcoming people um, who, who without, you know, without them, I wouldn't have had a project. I wouldn't have had two exhibitions. So, so yeah, so anybody I've spoken to in Hartlepool, and I'm sorry if I've missed your story out. Um, there's been the odd one that didn't make it to a finished artwork. Um, but it, it's been great fun bringing your stories to life. So, thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project, or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. 